Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm very happy to have Michelle Hyde as my guest today. Michelle joined the field of behavioral analysis in 2006 through assisting parents of children with developmental disabilities and lecturing throughout the disability community to both parent and professional audiences. She received her master's degree and board-certified behavior analyst credential in 2012. Michelle became an active member of several professional committees in behavior analysis, including education and training, ethics, and public policy. Through her public policy work, she has met with legislators, testified before both Senate and Assembly committees, and built relationships with legislators and others in Sacramento. She has also become a community legislative educator, providing training in behavior analysis to professionals, regional centers, parents, and consumers. This legislative involvement has allowed Michelle to stay up to date on legislation and changes that are impacting the field of behavior analysis and advocate for clients receiving these services. Welcome, Michelle, and thank you so much for joining me today to talk about the important work you're doing to help better the quality of life for those with special needs. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. So to begin, can you tell me how is the service system for individuals with disabilities related to legislation? Well, a lot of people don't realize um, where the service system kind of first started, but it started by parents advocating for better services and supports for their family members or children with disabilities. And in particular, in the state of California, we had a lot of institutionalization and parents didn't have a lot of options to keep their family members, their children home, receiving supports in their home and in the community. And so when they were faced with the challenge of either sending their child to an institution or receiving no help and support to keep them at home, they began advocating. And in California, it started with um, just a really a, a group of a small group of parents going to Sacramento and advocating with um, then Assemblymember Frank Lanterman. And the the Lanterman Act was passed in California, and um, it allowed for um, services and supports to be provided at home and in the community to uh, families and individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So while most parents, you receive services and supports at your home and you receive uh, people go to day programs and they um, experience life in their community, they may not realize that all of that is because the legislature in California um, has a surface system and supports those um, individuals and families. So really everything that we receive as a service system comes from legislation that was passed and advocacy by parents to really design the system as we know it. Uh, when my son was very young and diagnosed with autism, he received great services. And my first question was, you know, how much are these services going to cost me? And, it was, you know, some the answer was, the services are free. And so my next question was, well, somebody's paying for them. Who's paying for them? Well, the state of California is paying for them. And it's matched by federal funds. So it's, it's um, you know, about 60-40 federal funds and, and uh, California uh, revenue. But I realized very quickly, if California legislature and 
state of California is funding my services, then they must have a lot of input into what types of services and supports he gets. And that is, in fact, the case. The legislature in California um, really determines what services and supports our community gets. So it's, um, it's intimately tied to legislative action, um, the entire service system, whether we're talking about regional center services in California or um, more federal services under um, Medicaid programs or um, just really the entire service system, sorry, uh, school districts and um, everything from IHSS, everything is related to legislation. Well, that leads me actually to my next question. Why is legislative advocacy important for the disability community? Well, if we didn't have the legislative advocacy of a small group of parents who came before us many, many years ago, we wouldn't have a service system the way that we know it. And I think that it's imperative to parents who are um, going through this now and receiving the services now to continue the advocacy so that the service system um, grows stronger and maintains over time. Because without active advocacy with the legislature, we could see the demise of the system. And we did um, see some really drastic cuts in the recession in 2008 and 2009. The state had to make some very difficult decisions about what to fund and how much to fund. And uh, we saw cuts in the system that were very devastating for many people who were accessing certain services. And it took a lot of advocacy to repeal some of those cuts. So we're now in 2020, and those cuts were made in 2008, 2009, and we hadn't seen, we have still have not seen a restoration of some of those cuts. So something like social recreation and camp that regional center systems used to be able to provide for families was cut in the recession and has never been uh, restored. So without active involvement and um, advocacy from parents and providers and just the community at large, our entire service system could disappear or be drastically changed so that it doesn't provide the, the adequate support that, that people need. Um, I really feel like it's important that people with disabilities, intellectual and developmental disabilities, experience um, all that life has to offer. And to do that, they need supports and services to meet their needs and to be able to live successfully um, in the community. So without advocacy, that could really go away. Um, like I said, it, it, it doesn't just uh, pertain to regional center services in California, but that is my focus. But it also relates to special education services and supports and, um, and Medicaid and other you know, vital service systems. So it's just really imperative that we, we learn and that we take action when we can to, um, pre to preserve the, the Lanterman Act and the service system. So how do people like parents, other family members, providers, how do we engage in legislative advocacy and also, you know, what are some of the actions that uh, we can take in order to try and ensure the continuance and the betterment of these services? Well, I think... Um you know, it's, it's so difficult, right? As parents of children with disabilities, we have so much on our plate. But I do think it's important to really think about, you know, what are the services and supports that your family has benefited from? Um, 
how are those funded, and how can we, you know, take action. So some of the things that, that people can do is, number one, just learn. You know, learn about the service system, um, learn about um, l- the legislature in your state and how that um, interacts with your service system. Um, a great way is to find local groups that are already taking action. So there may be um, support groups who are involved, and you can learn and network and take action as a group. There may be um, groups through your regional center. Uh, it may be just getting a group of parents together, just parents, you know, your friend's group, and um, talking about it or sharing information that you are hearing tonight or today in this podcast with them so that they um, learn and know more. I know um, I've had, as a parent, just, you know, informal groups of parents who are really passionate about, um, for instance, housing has been a big topic. And so we meet every couple months and we just talk about housing in general and how can we, um, you know, make housing more affordable? How can we ensure that there's more options for our uh, family members in our community? And so it's a very informal group, um, but it could be more formal actions with uh, the regional center or other local groups. Another great way is to um, get involved with organizations such as the ARC of California, or there's um, the ARC, which is a national organization, um, and they have local chapters in every state and some in um, like smaller, more geographical um, organizations or chapters of the ARC. Um, that's a great organization to get involved with and learn about their advocacy platform. And, you know, they'll put out a call to action to send a letter or to call um, a legislator and voice your opinion. So there's just small actions that you can um, take. There may be more formal groups. Um, you know, again, in California, we have the regional center system. Every regional center has a board of trustees, and many boards of trustees have subgroups that are focused on government and community relations or legislative advocacy. So that's a way um, to get involved is to attend those meetings or to even become a regional center board member and uh, advocate from that perspective. You can also just look around in your community and see what you know local meetings are happening as we um, are gearing up towards um, elections. There's going to be a lot of town halls or debates or campaign events, and that's a good way to um, take action is just attend one of those events and get to know your local legislators and start building those relationships and kind of making your um, topics known to the people that are attending. And then once you get more involved, you can learn about legislation um, and voice your opinion on bills that are going to impact your family. So, you know, in my circle, I'm often asking, uh, you know, friends that are um, informed to make calls to their legislators, to ask them to vote yes or no on particular bills um, that may impact our community. Um, So that would be a really important way to, you know, voice your opinion. And, you know, it's just small steps. So the You know, it's hard to get involved in the beginning, but if you just attend one meeting, then you get your feet kind of wet, and then you can um, attend another meeting, and you might meet some people that kind of um, maybe are more involved and can take you along on uh, that journey. Um, My involvement started as a parent. My son was uh, very young. He was maybe between three and five, and I was attending a local 
Community Advisory um, Committee, and they offered to take an advocacy trip of a few parents up to Sacramento to speak on some bills that impacted special education. And I attended that meeting. I went up to Sacramento for the first time, and uh, there happened to be another parent in the group who was really well-versed in all of these things and knew um, you know, a lot about the legislature in California and about legislators, and she knew people up in Sacramento. And um, I kind of said, how do you know all this stuff? And she said, well, I work for uh, First 5 LA, so I've had a lot of legislative involvement. They are um, – First 5 LA is – or First 5 California is uh, funded through a, a proposition, and it's, it's very well funded to support early childhood education for all kids. Um, but she happened to be going on the trip with me as a parent of a child um, in special education. And so I kind of leaned on her and said, tell me everything you know. And fast forward 15 or so years, her and I are still really close uh, friends and and advocates and and often will bounce questions off of one another. So sometimes it's just, you know, attending an event, putting yourself out there and meeting the right person to then network with to become a stronger advocate. And I think... If a parent isn't really ready to take these big steps, um, I can understand that. But also, by by doing some of these actions, you just become a better advocate in general. And becoming a better advocate is really a good thing because then you can just advocate on behalf of your, your child or your family member in a more effective um, way to get their needs met. So, you know, whether it's legislative advocacy that you're really involved with, like I am, um, I kind of live it and breathe it and dream about it at night and it never leaves my side. Um, but if that's not your your thing, you can take small actions um, to preserve our service system, um, but then in doing so, you're going to become just a better advocate overall. So, hope that answers the question. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it answers it very, very well. And you made some really wonderful suggestions on how to become more involved. Now, you are in California, in Los Angeles County. Would you like to mention some of the changes coming to voting in L.A. County in 2020 and how this might impact those in the disabled community? Yeah, so the changes coming to voting in L.A. County, um, and if you're, if you're not from L.A. County, I hope that you find this uh, very interesting because our entire you know, voter system was very um, outdated um, in LA County in particular, and they revamped the entire system with a, with a focus on making the system more accessible, particularly for people with disabilities. But in doing so, it's made more accessible for everyone. So, you know, what's interesting is that what's good for a person with disability is often good for everyone because it just makes a system more accessible um, for for everyone. And so the changes coming to voting in L.A. County, I hope that we see some of the similar things kind of trickle across other counties and other states. So we're going to have um, – normally there's one day to vote – and the biggest change is that there's no longer going to be just one day to vote, but there's going to be 11 days to vote. So if you can't you know, get the day off of work, you have 11 days to make it to where you're going to vote. 
where you're going to vote is also going to change. So in L.A. County, we used to have polling places that were assigned. You had to go to your assigned polling place to vote. No longer is that the case. You can go to any vote center in L.A. County. So I was meeting with a group of self-advocates the other day, and one of them said, you know, that's so great because I can just, you know, go on the bus route that works for me where there's a vote center nearby. I don't have to try to figure out how to get to the vote center that I'm assigned to. I can just go to one that's easily accessible for my transportation. And I thought that that was a really interesting uh, benefit of just being able to kind of vote um, at any vote center. But for a person without a disability that doesn't have transportation concerns, it means you can vote at a place by your work or a place by your house or somewhere in between. Um, and that, that will be really nice and interesting. The other thing that is really changing is that um, there's going to be whole new voting machines. So, you know, we're used to using the Inca vote system, kind of old school um, ballots, and now it's going to be all um, technology-based. So there's going to be a tablet uh, that you start your voting process from, you choose your language, you choose the font size, um, all of the, it has all of these options. You can listen to your ballot or read your ballot. And then there's also um, an option to have an e-poll book. So it's on your phone, you make your selections, and then it generates a QR code. And when you go in, you would just have to scan your QR code and it brings up all those choices that you made at home. So you don't have to necessarily stand at the vote center and make all of those choices. So again, just you know, lots of changes to make voting more accessible. And it may not sound that exciting in my um, explanation of it, but I can tell you I've watched videos of the changes that are coming, and it looks uh, really exciting. So I'm It sounds wonderful. To, yeah, it, I'm super excited to vote. And unfortunately, I'm signed up to vote by mail, uh, because in the past that was just the easiest way to vote. So I think I have to undo that so I can actually go to a vote center and experience, <laughs> and experience it, right? And everything, yeah. Yeah, well, no, these are wonderful changes that are coming. And for those outside of the L.A. area, um, I would hope that people would find this very interesting and things that they could perhaps advocate for in their own communities yeah. because these sound like wonderful changes that are happening. Yeah, I would hope that people would do that because, you know, I think one of the challenges in the past has always just been voting accessibility, like having one day to vote, um, you know, only having to go to the one polling place that you're assigned if it's not easy or if it's not accessible or if there's long lines. I mean, that can really make voting uh, a challenge. And I think uh, it would be really important to ensure that everyone who's registered to vote is able to vote. So at this point, Michelle, tell me, how can our listeners reach you if they have questions about what we've discussed or if they just want to know more about advocating and about uh, legislation of uh, of items for people with disabilities. So I'll share my contact information, but then I'd also like to talk about, you know, I think we talked a lot about um, how to become involved, but I'd like to also review some of the um, smaller actions that I always advise people to do. So first, my contact information. If you'd like to get a hold of me, um, my, uh, my number is 661-803-3586. And my email address is m hide h e i d at a b p 
www.pathways.com. And that's uh, all my work contact information. But I pretty much work all the time, so you can get me anytime. And could you also spell that uh, email address for us, please? Yes, it's M Hyde, H E I D, at A B P A T H W A Y S dot com. Okay, terrific. And then you wanted to continue and mention a few other things. Yeah, I did. So, um, you know, we, we talked in general terms about becoming involved, but um, I think if if some of those actions are, are overwhelming and you're not the type of person to get out and, and go to a meeting, um, I think that um, I always advocate for people to know who your legislators are and not just your federal representatives, but your local state legislators. So in California, we have an assembly and a Senate. We have a a bicameral legislature, just like uh, we do at the federal level. Um, So we have local assembly uh, people and a local senator. It's good to get to know those people because often disability service systems are more impacted by your state legislation and state legislators than they are by federal legislation. So all my family always asks me my opinions on federal uh, politics, and I always tell them, I don't know, I don't care, I really don't pay attention to that as much as maybe I even should, um, because I really focus on more local, what happens in my state. So I can tell you who my assembly member is and my senator. So I think that people should definitely know who their legislators are, um, and it's always good to know what they look like because if you see them at a community event, you'll know who they are and you can talk with them. Um, so most uh, websites, especially in California, the Senate and the Assembly, they definitely have um, pictures of the legislators and you can learn about their um, positions on things and what they kind of care about. So um, it's good to know your legislators. And then if you have the opportunity to talk with them at a community event or you see them in town, um, it's good to just have a, a, an elevator speech that you can share with them about the importance of the disability community. Um, you never know when an opportunity is going to come your way. And I had a recent opportunity. I mean, luckily, I know my legislators, and unfortunately, they know me in this case because I had been making cookies for my son at home, and I ran out of flour. So I ran across the street to the grocery store, um, not really dressed to be really seen in public, um, and ran right into our state assemblywoman who recognized (laughs) me and said hello, and I just apologized for the way I looked, that I was making cookies. Um, We're all people. I guess that's like okay. But um, I learned don't go to the store looking like that. You might run into your legislator. Um, (laughs) You never know. You never know. They go shopping too. (laughs) Yeah. She was – and, you know, it was right after she was elected, uh, newly elected to our state assembly, and she um, had shared with me that, oh, she had just run over to the store to get the ingredients to make homemade minestrone soup for her family. So um, I don't know how she does that along with being an assembly person, but apparently she's got it all figured out. Um, The other thing you can do is just write them letters. So, you know, it might just be a general introductory letter, and you can outline the importance of the service system. If they get a letter from a constituent, they probably – think that there's, you know, at least 10 other people with that same concern who are sitting at home not writing letters. 
So, you know, writing a letter or even making a call um, can really go a long way to just share, you know, your concerns or your thoughts or even ask them to vote a certain way. So if you're not really ready to um, get out there and meet them at the grocery store or at a community event um, or meet with them more formally to discuss the issues, you can just make a call and um, share those thoughts. And I think that that's just so critically important because the more of our community that's making those calls and making those connections, they might think, wow, this is an issue that I really should look at or consider. And we have to remember that some legislators who are making decisions on bills that impact our community and our family, they may not have a disability experience to, um, you know, that they've had to kind of go on um, to know the importance of the disability service system. So it's important that we share that with them um, so that when they're voting, they think, oh, yeah, I remember I talked to Gilda, and she has a family member with a disability. I'm sure this really impacts her, and she would care about it, so maybe I should care about it too. Um, I think that's kind of the way that, that they learn about all of the issues that they have to, to manage. Um, and I think you really, as, a, as an advocate, you see it full, come full circle when they're not, you're not calling them necessarily, but they're calling you to ask your opinion. So I've had a couple experiences where legislators have called me and said, this you know, issue is on my desk, and I know that you know more about this than I do. What are your thoughts? And that's when I feel like, you've really had a big win because um, you've made that, you know, real connection with them. That's terrific. That must have made you feel really good. Yeah, it it does. Um, another thing that people can do is, you know, we're coming up on elections this year. Once people are newly elected, it can be a really great time to just send them a note of congratulations, whether you voted for them or not, and say, congratulations on your election. My name is so-and-so, and I have a you know, son or daughter with a disability, and this is important to me because you know, without the services, they wouldn't uh, be able to um, have a you know, full life in the community. So just something simple like that, you can start with a thank you, but then share... Uh, your concern for for your family member, and that can you know really make a, a difference and an impact. Those are some great suggestions, Michelle. And uh, I want to thank you so much for your time and for sharing some really terrific information with us today. I I thank you for having me on. Um, I. I'm really passionate about legislative advocacy, if you can tell, um, and I think it's really important that other parents engage in these kinds of actions because I would hate to see what would happen if we did not have the type of service system that we have for our family members. You know, we cannot afford to go backwards into a time of institutionalization or low quality of life. In fact, we need to, you know, continue to advocate and push it forward so that our family members experience the greatest quality of life possible in their communities and, you know, have all the experiences that, that everyone else does. Well, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I want to thank you personally for everything that you do for our community. Well, you're welcome. But you don't have to thank me. I, I just wouldn't have it any other way. So. I also want to thank our listeners for spending a part of their day with us. 
I'm Gilda Evans reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.